Uh, Today's reading comes from 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you knowing that through your Son you have paid it all. And we long to be in such a place that that truth is lived out in our lives, God. What does it look like for us to live lives on the edge, knowing that everything's already been paid and that we can live our lives in a joyous, overflowing response to You and Your love? God, we... We just need your spirit to move in us. So we come to your word and knowing that we have no other place to turn, God, but that you have the words of life. And so we come to you and we ask that you would transform us further and further and further into the image of your son. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So you're walking down your hallway. Not not like the hallway of life or anything like like that. Just you're literally just walking down your hallway, and then you look up, and what do you see? But this yellow spot up there. And so, what do you do? Well, you ignore it for a little while until it rains next time, and then you see ah, this little spot is no longer a little yellow spot. It's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And so, with record highs yesterday, what do you do? You climb up, look in the attic, you know, and go up in the roof. Well, not only you, but somebody else from church, I'll just Chris, because he's overly generous, comes over, and we go up in the roof. Well, he goes up in the roof, and I, I just kind of tag along. And um, I did my best to stay out of his way, though, just so you know. And and before long, he had this leak. He's tracked it down, and he's got it fixed, and it didn't take long. There was only one little spot that was messed up, and that was like the one thing I did up there, is he patiently watched me do it, knowing I'm just screwing up everything he he just did. And then after a couple minutes of that, he said, maybe let's not do that uh, anymore. Let's, let's let that be. 
And through this time that we have a little bit of fellowship afterwards, and he drives off. And after that, my heart is just abounding in joy in glorifying God through the generosity of someone else. A simple little thing, but that's what we see in our text here this morning. What's, what's happening with this, uh, in this part of 2 Corinthians is that Paul is encouraging them. There's a, a famine that's been going on in the, in the 40s, the first century of the 40s going on, the mid to late 40s throughout Judea. And so what Paul is doing is collecting money from these Gentile churches to give it to the church that is predominantly Jewish in in Jerusalem and surrounding regions. And Paul actually spends years of his life planning this out and orchestrating this. And uh, almost 10 years of his life is spent not only doing mission work, but collecting funds because of the devastating effects of this famine for the Jewish people and the Jewish church. And it is their generosity then, what Paul is going to show them, it's their generosity of these churches that you're giving to people that you don't even know. But your generosity will bring them to a place of thankfulness and will bring them to a place where they're glorifying God because of what you've done. That's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. So our main idea is that what should we do? Well, we should just live out this generosity. Live out this generosity of God. Well, we see it in a couple of places here. How does this, what does this look like? Alright, verses 6 and 7. What do we do? We give and we give cheerfully. That one's hard. That one's hard. We'll talk about that one a little bit. We give cheerfully. The second part is verses 8 through 12. Well, what do we give? Well, here's the beautiful thing. We don't give anything that we have. We give what God supplies. So we see that our generosity, we're nothing more than a conduit bringing forth what God supplies to us. And then finally here, as we've just referenced earlier, we give and we give to the glory of God. So let's go back to our verses here. Verses 6 and 7, we're going to look at giving cheerfully. The point is this, Paul writes, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Easy enough to understand. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, nor under compulsion. Why? Well, for... Here's your reason clause. For God loves... God loves a cheerful giver. And maybe you've been like I would be with these giving texts. We've been going through this sermon series and you've kind of, it's like a volley of arrows coming at you, you know, and you're trying to dodge them of like, oh, maybe I can avoid this and avoid this. But I'm sorry, go to verse seven. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. Each one, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now, in in the church, there's a multitude of gifts. There's a multitude of callings. Some of us are called more to be evangelists and to pray with those or to to share the gospel with those who have no understanding of the gospel. And that is how God has wired some of you within this church. Others, God has called you to more prayer, and you'll stay up hours and hours at night 
praying for people who are hurting within this church, praying that God would be the one to sustain them. Some of you are called to humble service. And you do the things that no one else sees, but you rejoice that your Father who sees what is done in secret is delighted in you. But here we see in our text that everyone is called to be a giver. And how do we not do it? That's what Paul first says. Well, don't do it like this. And we find ourselves oftentimes being like children, don't we? We have uh, a child has a toy and it's stashed away in the closet. It can be there for weeks and weeks and weeks. He has no care for it whatsoever until, until this horrific moment that someone else is delighting in it. And then this thing that he didn't even know he had anymore. Yes, I have one child in mind. He didn't think he didn't even know he had anymore. Now becomes like this crown jewel of his affections that he cannot, he cannot possibly part with. Not even for a moment. And so then you, you pull him aside and you say, okay, okay, okay. Let's calm down. How did you get the toy? Or, or did you make it? Is that what you did? Oh, oh, you bought it with your own money. Well, where did you get this money that you bought it with? Uh, then inevitably, the, the story breaks down quite soon, and you realize, oh, it was given to me. And thus, I can give it as well. But even then, it's like they, they, they cannot, okay, they'll give it, but then they... The, the other child is walking away and there's like some, always some parting words or something like that. Yo, you'll rue the day that you borrowed the toy. And it's like, really? Like, don't give reluctantly. Sometimes we give just to say we gave. But we wish we could avoid the whole thing altogether. It's as if every dollar we give is like a precious drop of blood that's taking a little bit of life out of us. And so we give, or then we give reluctantly. So we shouldn't do that, nor under compulsion, as this child we just referenced is giving under compulsion. If he doesn't give... What's going to be taken from him and then given? Same thing with, with the government. No one, no one extols the virtue of someone who's being generous towards the IRS. No, you, you give and you give under compulsion. Why? Because if you don't, they're going to take that much and then they're going to take even more. So don't give reluctantly. Don't give under compulsion. But give cheerfully. Even in the old, this is how our, our giving is even different than that of, of the first testament, of the old testament, where they would have their tithes. You look at Deuteronomy 14. They would have their tithes that they would give, but they would also have their free will offerings and their votive offerings and everything like that. And so they would give, it sometimes be up to roughly a third of their income that, that they would be giving to the temple. And much of it was under compulsion. So even if your heart was a stone, you would still give because that's what the law demanded. Paul is saying, that's not us. That's not what we do. We must... Well, think of it this way. So there's a king sitting on his throne. And there's two people that come in. The first one that comes in 
is the slave who slavishly walks in, lays his money down that he's due to his employer, and kind of shuffles off, shuffles off. Where's the joy in that? Where's the generosity in that? There's none. Compare that to the child who then runs up to this king who's their father, lays down everything they have. It, it might be, it's, it's foolish things. Quite frankly, it could be a rock that was stuck in the shoe. That's sometimes a gift in our house. A feather you find in the garden. A, a picture that is drawn that is like a, an impressionistic uh, painting at best. And the king delights in this much, much more. Because God loves a cheerful giver. So why would God love the cheerful giver? Think about it. When we're giving and we're giving cheerfully, what we're saying is that we're actually not being subject to the world and everything that it has, but we're actually we're being subject to something else and that we're being subject to the gospel going forth. Without even knowing it, the things of this world, even though they're not alive, can have dominion over us. Our finances, they go where we tell them to go and they're not even alive, but sometimes they, they seemingly have this dominion over us. That Oh, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. I can't give it away. I don't have enough. But when we are cheerful givers, we're saying that we're subject to the gospel. And we will live under God in His good, kind provision that He will always take care of us. So you go to Acts. The early chapters of Acts, the Spirit falls upon this early church. There's a, a myriad of responses. The gospel goes forth. 3,000 are, are baptized and saved. Saved and then baptized. Okay. They're saved and then baptized. Uh, they, they're speaking in tongues. But then there's something else that is also the fruit of this Spirit stirring among them. You see in this in uh, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. Anyone that had a need. They were taking care of them. And it's this very thing that is then compelling to the world around them as the gospel is beginning to go forth. You also see this, brothers and sisters, you see this generosity of God wired into creation itself. Don't you? You have the the Son. He is subject to its Creator. And it's glorious and it's scattering beams are going out from the front, the back, the top and the bottom. Now imagine a son that was not subject to its creator. Imagine a son that did not give. It would be nothing. Its glory, the son, its glory is in its generosity. Same thing with queen of the night, the moon. Imagine if the moon did not reflect the rays of the sun that it was given. Imagine if it just ate them all up, ate them all up, and ate them all up. You would have no consideration for it whatsoever. 
But on those cold, those beautiful, cold, frigid nights, when you go hiking in the middle of the night and it seems as though it's, it's, it's as bright as day, you glory in the moon for her generosity that she has received from someone else and she has passed it on. And you glory in her. Or even consider the earth itself. The parts of the earth that we think of accursed are the parts of the earth that are not generous. You think of the desert. It consumes life and it never gives it back. It could drink up all of the water of the earth and it would not give anything back at all. But the other parts of the earth, they're considered blessed. Why? Because they give beyond measure. You put a little bit of seed down and you have a bountiful harvest. And this is what God is calling us to be. To be cheerful givers, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not reluctantly this internal hesitation, not uh, not under compulsion as though there's something outside of you pressing you to give. But God is calling us to be a cheerful giver. And if He follows that up with our next verses that we'll look at, that explains why, why we can be cheerful givers. So look again at verse 8 here. And we'll start here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. I hope you're picking up on a theme there. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He will, He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Briefly, we won't have time to mention it. That's from Psalm 112, which is about the blessed man. The blessed man, Psalm 112, is one who's, who's freely giving. And of course, this is pointing to Christ. This is pointing to God. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Amen. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs to the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanks to God. Thanksgiving to God. What freedom we have when we know that we cannot lose by doing the very things in which God is pleased. This labor and task of being generous, we will not grow weary for God's all of God's grace, all of God's grace is the one that is sustaining you. All of God's grace is, it will be your bountiful supply. And this will be sufficient for you. Not just every now and then, but in every instance. And this is why God's grace is able to work through you and in you. I hope you see that God has not withheld anything. God has not withheld anything from us. And whatever lacking we feel that we might have, whatever station in life we're in, whatever we think we might have, whatever lacking we might see is like a vision test to show how distorted we actually are from what God would have for us and what we actually want.
So the greater the, the disparity and discrepancy between what God would have us to want and what we want, well, the greater our vision is off. It is God who is distributed freely. He is the one who is given to the poor. He is the one who supplies seed to the sower. And He is the one who provides bread for food. And so when you are giving, you must, we must remember this, that we are not giving from ourselves, but it is God is the one who supplies. So we are actually giving from the storehouse of God's treasures when we give. It's dangerous when we think of it as though we're actually giving of our own stuff. Do you see the idolatry creeping in here? No, it is God is the one who supplies. And the moment we start to think, oh no, that's mine, I'm going to hold back a little bit. Well, no, then we are actually proclaiming that it's we are the ones who have distributed freely, that we are the ones who are giving to the poor, that we are the one who supplied seed to the sower, and that we are the ones who supplied bread for food. No, it is God, and it is God who supplies on this. So it's not only idolatrous when we think it's that we, when, when we think that we are the ones who are giving. It's not only idolatrous, but, but then we actually find ourselves giving less. Right? When you know you're going to your father and he is the one who's supplying endlessly for his own glory, you give and you give generously. When you think it's coming out of your pittance, Ah, well then you hold back. And these hands that are so happy to receive, it's like you, your fingers become numb and you, you can't give out anymore. But that, you, which you can receive, well then you can do that. And you can do that freely. So you'll never outgive the generosity of God. You will never outgive it. For you have everything that you will need. Your cupboards are bare. You have everything you need. Your car is broken down. Praise be to God. You have everything you need. See, here in Scripture, the very Word of God is promising that God will supply everything we need, that we will be enriched in every way. And there begins to be this distortion when we look at it from what we want for our own lives compared to what God would have for our own lives. And our vision of God's goodness and His bountiful gifts begins to be distorted and then begins to get fuzzy when we see this separation of what we want and what God wants. I see that in the text. Good. You lift your eyes up from the text and then the cynic in me, which abounds, uh, goes crazy. Okay. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Verse 10. I see it in the text. And then when I was living in India, you don't see that. You see the slums of India, you, one of the train routes we'd take to some teaching, I would do, we'd, we would go right through the slums and it was nearly unending. How do you reconcile this? Honestly, how do you reconcile this? 
Um, one, I, <laughs> you be careful. Don't take too many steps down this path. And remember that it's, it's along this fault line that we are in no position to judge the goodness of God. That we as His creation would be able to come above Him and judge Him and tell Him when He should have been giving more, when He should have been giving less. Well, look, as a heathen, why is He so wealthy? Look at these people, they don't have enough. As though we're over God and we should be distributing everything out. This is, it's along this fault line that the serpent came into the, the garden and tempted Adam and tempted Eve. It's along this fault line of God's goodness and His generosity. Don't take too many steps down that path. But we have to remember that it's true. When we look at the text and we look in the world, and we think we see something different than the text, the text always reigns. God's Word is never subject to His creation and what we might think is there. So it's true that every morsel of bread, every grain of rice that may or may not be given are of goods, God's good providence. But I will say this, that there are many who have so little morsels of bread or grains of rice in this world that are going to feast with the King forever and ever and ever. You do, you do, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Hindus in India are coming to faith in Christ. And the Gospel is going forth. And who knows if it's God's providential plan to bring them to a place of brokenness. That they might feast. Not in a meal. How temporal can we be? But that they would feast with the King of King forever. Okay, so it's abundantly clear that God has freely given us everything that we need. Uh, he's given us His creation to enjoy. We have the fresh air. You can go outside. You can lay down in the grass and just see the clouds racing by. But even more than that, He's given us His own Son. And this Son who was given to this world, he what did He do? Well, He gave His own life. And when He was risen from the dead, He rose from the dead that you too, if you believe in Him, might also rise from the dead. And Christ has gone back into heaven and is interceding, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and is interceding on behalf of His sons and daughters, going, oh, she is mine. He is mine. She is mine. He is mine. And God has sent people into your lives to share the good news with you. That by believing in Him, by trusting in Him, you will be redeemed from death. And then the Father and the Son, then they both send the Holy Spirit into the world. That He might indwell us and be a down payment of this future glory that we will have forever and ever. And even now, all of the riches 
of God. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, they are yours and they are yours in Christ. So if we begin to think for a second that whatever God has given to us is not enough, then the problem is our blindness and our lack of faith. The problem is not the goodness of God. So when we finally realize that God has and that God will supply all that we need, then we are able to freely give as God has freely given to His people and to His creation. For what we truly need, listen to this, what we truly need cannot be taken away. We are Christ's own and He will never let us go. And if you trust in Him, this is true. And then you are able to freely give all that you have, knowing that everything you will ever need will be given to you and is given to you through Christ. All right, before we wrap it up here, where have we been? What are we to, we're to live out the generosity of God. Not, not reluctantly. As though it's like drops of blood of your own life that you're giving. It's not under compulsion that you have to do it. But do it cheerfully. The way you see the, the creation rejoicing in the, the providence and the generosity of God. The way you see God rejoicing over His creation. Give cheerfully. And we're able to give. And we're able to give cheerfully because we know we're not giving of our own storehouse. We're giving of what God has supplied to us. And we can give and give and give knowing that God will continue to give for His glory. And most importantly, the things that we truly need cannot be taken away from us. Christ will hold you and He will hold you fast until the end. So finally here, we see how all of this culminates up and is building up, not surprisingly, into the glory of God. So let's go to verse here, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the shower and bread for food will supply, not might, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. You're not just giving money to the churches in Judea to supply needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing into many thanksgivings to God. Let's just grammatically, this first portion is a mess. Let's just briefly unpack it. Quickly. Uh, it, it just starts with the gospel. Is, is where it all starts. The gospel and your confession of this gospel. And when we confess this gospel, then we are brought into submission. And out of this submission to God comes this generosity towards others. And by their approval of your service, of your generosity, from your submission, from believing in the gospel... They see this and they rejoice and they glorify God. Brothers and sisters, do you want to be used by God? 
Do you want your life to bring glory to God? I got one amen. Thanks. Must be a visitor. Paul is saying here that when you see others giving and when you are receiving from their generosity, they will praise and they will glorify Him because of your generosity, because of your giving. So it's my prayer. And it's been our prayer this week. That this will be enough. That the glory of God will be more than enough to compel you, to bring you, to drive you to live out the generosity of God. That we will be used. We will give freely with a cheerful heart. That we will give knowing that we are giving from the storehouse of God's treasures. And we will live out this generosity so that others might glorify God. Let us pray. Let us pray. God, we we do, we do want to be used by You, God. We want to reflect You in so many ways, God. Give us the faith to live out Your generosity, God. Not so that we can abound in every good way, but God, so that Your glory may abound throughout all of this creation, that others might see your generosity being reflected in your humble servants so that they would glorify God and worship you. God, let us relive out your generosity this week. Amen. Amen.